Sips and Ish, what is up? Before we start this podcast, I want to take just one second and ask a giant favor. Wherever you're listening, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a review. A five-star review would be amazing and help us so much. Now, let's mix a drink and get started. What's up? This is Alex Nepa. We've got another awesome podcast for you this week. I'm super, super, super pumped to have Mike Walter from Elite Entertainment in New Jersey as my guest. If you're a DJ, Mike needs no introduction. However, we do have some people listening that aren't DJs, so let me tell you a little bit about Mike. Mike runs one of the largest and most successful multi-op DJ companies in the country. Yes, that's correct. In the country. Elite Entertainment from New Jersey is Mike's company and they have performed actually I'm going to open up his Google search right here because I actually tried to get this on during the podcast and I wanted to read it correctly his Google search says tens of thousands of weddings dozens of entertainers the most reviewed wedding entertainment company in the world see the difference and that's what Mike is all about Mike runs a large company And Mike is one of the most personal guys you'll meet. And in the beginning of the podcast, I also talked to Mike about how I consider him a little bit of a shitster on Facebook. And maybe I worded that incorrectly. I wanted to kind of get a little bit of a response out of him on the podcast. But what Mike does is provoke thought. Mike is a thought leader. And that's why many, many, many DJs come to Mike for consulting services. They listen to his podcast, which he hosts along with Joe Bunn every single week. And they read his books and marketing and training videos. Mike's book, Running Your Multi-Op, is a bestseller. And I told him early on in the podcast that it helped me kind of understand how to run a multi-op. Around 2007, I was tasked with going going from a DJ to becoming a general manager for a DJ company. And I had no idea what I was doing. And Mike's book helped me so much. I think that was like around 2010-ish or so. And I've just followed Mike ever since, and I've got to be 100% honest with you guys here. I was more than a little nervous talking to Mike during the podcast. I even stumbled over myself a couple times, and that's not abnormal if you know me. But at the same time, I, I just had to gather myself because Mike isn't an intimidating guy, but I was intimidated by the aura of Mike. Now to loosen things up, we drank some tequila. And we had um, a tasting that arrayed the three main expressions of tequila. We actually skipped Anejos, but we did Blancos, which is young tequila, unaged. Then we went to Reposados, which is tequila that's aged anywhere from three months to one year. And we skipped Anejos, and we went right into extra Anejos because we did not want to get too drunk, and I wanted to share some very, very good tequila with Mike. And we had two extra Anejos, extra Anejo tequila. Our tequilas that are aged for one to three years to beyond. So we had Tears of Lorona, which is actually one of the highest regarded tequilas in the world. 
And then we moved on to Tapiata Excellencia, pardon my gringo English there, which is a very great in its own regard. Mike and I hit a lot of topics, including his personal life, which I don't think gets enough love on uh, social media and the DJ media. We talk about his start as a DJ, and we talk about where he's going next. And I just have to say this about Mike before we get into the show, before we get into the podcast. One of the things that I like most about Mike and one of the things that I respect the most about Mike is that he doesn't rest on his laurels. A lot of DJs as they age, I guess you can say, do what they found success in. So if they found success in the late 90s, they stick with that routine and they tend to age out. One of the coolest things in the world about Mike is he's always learning. He is a mixer. He loves music. He puts out music mixes on the weekly, whether they're live recordings from his weddings or just playing some new music that he's trying to feel out. That's something that even I don't do. So I have all the respect in the world for that. I'm going to be straight up right here. As I am 42 and aging, I'm cognizant of keeping up with the trends, not falling into patterns that I've found success with in the past. And that's why I look up to Mike. That's why I consider Mike an industry leader, not just because of his business acumen, not just because of what he's built up in terms of training DJs and consistently having awesome DJs on his staff. But Mike is just with the times. Age isn't necessarily a number to me. Age is how you feel. Age is your vibe. Age is how you present yourself. And to me, Mike is timeless, I guess you could say. You may hate that. I'm not going to call him a veteran. I'm not going to call him a legend. But he is the fucking man. And we're going to get right on here with this podcast. Drink some tequila and have a good chat with Mike Walter. Let's go. Sips and Ish, we're here with Mike Walter. Mike is an author, owner of an entertainment company. And I like to call Mike the bridge that gaps the generations of all DJs. I love that, Alex. Thank you. And um, so I'm going to ask you how your day was, but I'm going to ask you in your book, um, 10 Ways to Have a Great Day. One of your uh, one of your ways is to have sex. So how was your day? Uh, didn't didn't check that one off the box, uh, unfortunately. And I'm not going to have a chance because Kelly has a, an overnight client tonight. So she'll be leaving shortly for uh, to for an overnight. So um, I'll work on that tomorrow, though. <laughs> Yeah, me as well. Me as well. So we're going to get started. Um, we're going to do a tequila tasting today. We're going to talk a little bit about Mike's endeavors, Mike's life, and we're going to hit the different expressions of tequila. We're going to start off with the Blancos. And I started number one. I, I didn't even count. How many did you send me? I sent seven. Um, we're officially going to try six, maybe number seven. We'll see about that. Um, so okay. number one. So I'm looking for Blanco. Yeah, you're looking for Patron. They should all be Patron labeled. Blanco. And I chose yeah. Patron as the first one because it's kind of like your baseline. I feel like everybody's had Patron. So you are educating me on tequila tonight. I am nowhere near a tequila expert. So, um, and I love your, what'd you say? Bourbon in the winter, tequila in the summer? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like that. I like that philosophy. So we're basically transitioning now from- A little, little bit summer. heavier in the winter for the cold here in the Northeast. And, uh, and am I, am I uh, drinking this rocks or no rocks? So I have a uh, Glen Cairn snifter thing here and I'm just going to do it on one small cube. I like a little bit of cube. Okay. I, I brought, I brought ice cubes down cause I didn't know, I didn't want to drop one in and have you go, no, no, no ice cubes. <laughs> the um, one tequila is actually a, 
$250 tequila, the last one we'll be doing. So you can choose. You sent me a, a tasting of a $250 tequila? Yeah, I mean, I've probably got three or, wow. four, three or four bucks in there for you, Mike. Wow. <laughs> That's still pretty good. Yeah, man. So the Patron. Yep. So just a tiny little bit here. I think everybody knows what Patron tastes like. Cheers. Cheers, brother. So my goal here is I do have an agenda. I feel like you are all over the place as far as the DJ media goes. And you talk a lot about your business. You talk a lot about education. Um, you talk a lot about your books. But I don't really know a lot about Mike as the person. I feel like that hasn't reached the public as much as it should. That's cool. Weird. So How far I, back do you want to go? <laughs> I started. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to start here. So I have an active imagination. And okay. I want to think of Mike Walter. Mike is a little bit of a shit stirrer on Facebook. So I think that Mike, you know, plans out a couple of Facebook posts, sits back, pours himself a drink, maybe tequila, maybe bourbon, whatever it may be an old fashioned. And he's like, let's watch these motherfuckers blow this shit up. It's, it's not as calculated. This is very good, by the way. I don't think I've ever had Patron. This is very good. Um, it's really not as calculated as that, but, but there, it, but you're right in the fact that I usually put something out there and then don't revisit it till later. <laughs> but usually that's just because I'm super busy. Uh, my, my times to post is usually in the morning and then around lunchtime. And so the morning I'm sitting there reading my no morning newspapers and I'll see an article or something and, and I'll go, oh, I've got an interesting, like you just said, shit stirring kind of post and I'll post it. And it's not like I sit there diabolically going, mm, let's see all this. Shit. But at that point I go to work and I usually don't look at Facebook again for another couple of hours. And a lot of times, Alex, that you, you know, I'll see you have 250 comments on the, and I go, I'm not reading them all. It's too much, too much work. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say it's as calculated as you made it seem, but it's definitely not, I'm not like, try. I said this the other day, I want them. I don't try to direct the conversation. Like some people will post something and then two comments in, they're trying to like change everybody's mind. And that's not my, that's not my goal. I love the debate or call it the argument, call it the fight, call it the shit stirring, whatever it is. I enjoy that part of social media. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy it too. I'm, I'm just glad I'm the one that doesn't have to post it. So. But you stay out of the fray mostly, right? I don't see you way, like, I don't know your political leanings. So you've done a fairly good job of, I think, staying out of the fray. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do You're that. more of a sideline watcher. I don't mind saying it here. I just don't like, uh, it's, I don't choose to, I don't want to spend my time arguing and projecting my, uh, my thoughts. And I don't think you really do either. No, I really don't. I, I spend a lot less time on my post than a lot of people do. Yeah. Honestly, I, I craft it. I put it out there. And then, and sometimes, like I said, you have 250 comments and there are four of them. And there's four people making all those kinds. So they're arguing back and forth. Those people have way more time than I do. And I think know. some of those people, if they if they choose to listen to this podcast, maybe they could take some time and work on their own profession instead of. Uh, but hey, if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. So that's cool. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. So tell me how you got your start. Um, where was what was your first DJ experience? So I grew up in Queens, New York, and um, I was starting in high school. I was a big bowler which is, it's sad because I haven't bowled in years and I haven't done it seriously. But for a while I was, I, I was hanging around this one bowling alley and I think I was in three different leagues and then also bowling, you know, I would just go on a, whatever, random night. 
And they started this thing while I was bowling there called Friday Night Madness, which a lot of bowling alleys, I think, do nowadays or have done. Basically, Friday night starting at 10 o'clock until two in the morning, they uh, people came in and played one paid. They paid one flat fee. I think it was like 10 bucks. You could bowl for nonstop for four hours and they had a DJ and the DJ that they hired didn't want to speak on the microphone. So the owner of the bowling alley came to me and he said, look, I, I know you're a bit of a ham and you're an outgoing person. Do you want to be, I don't even think he called it MC. I don't know what he called it, but he said, do you want to be my microphone guy? And I was like, sure. And this is like, again, mid eighties. I think my, I think he started me at $30 for the night, which is $7 and 50 cents, but all the beer you could drink. So that was pretty cool. Um, and I'll never forget, you know how bowling alleys have the microphone on like a gooseneck behind the counter. So for the first month, that's, I, that's where I was speaking, but this thing took off wildly. I mean, to the point where it was like a club, there were, there was a line out the door and we were turning people away. And the owner said to me, he goes, Mike, everyone's loving it. They're loving the music. They're loving your shtick on the microphone. What if I got you a cordless microphone? And I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot. And that Alex set me free. When I went from the gooseneck behind the, the desk to being able to literally run up and down the alleys, because one of the things we did for Friday Night Madness was we put one red pin in every rack. And if that came up as your head pin, and you and then you bowled a strike, you got like a free game or a free pitcher of beer or something like that. So I was literally running. Okay, we got a red pin on on aisle 20. Let's see who's going to roll it. Oh, Alex going to roll it. Let's see how he does. Oh, he left the 10 pin up. We got another red pin down on, on lane eight. And I, I just I loved it. It was the best introduction to emceeing and ad-libbing and everything. And the DJ, like I said, he didn't want to speak, but he would hand me slips of paper every once in a while. I'd say, hey, the next song is going out to this couple or dedicate the next song. So I just, that was my introduction to emceeing. And I just, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the sound of my own voice. And I, and let's be honest, I fell in love with the attention you get from being that guy. Of course. Now, I know at Elite Entertainment, you guys work in two-person teams. There's a DJ and an MC. Was mm -hmm. the experience what molded that? Well, no, the next experience was the company I got started with. So I started at a, at a mobile DJ company called Star DJs, and they use that same two-person package mentality where the main guy was your MC and then the backup person, not even your DJ, but more of an assistant. And so that's really the model that most companies in New Jersey go by. And, and so when Elite, when I left Star and was building Elite, that's basically the model we followed. So Elite was built from the ground up by you? It wasn't an acquisition or anything? No, uh, I guess probably sort of an acquisition. So there was a guy named Derek Taylor who I had met at Star. He left Star to open up Elite Entertainment, but really was never going to get Elite past just him. And things were going bad at Star. I could see that they were going out of business. They had made some really bad decisions. So I basically jumped ship to join Eric at Elite and be his partner. Um, and then we kind of took off from there. And then about three or four years later, I bought him out and became the sole owner. And then it really took off from there because I'll never forget. I went into debt to buy Eric out and that got me scared. Like I had never been in debt. I mean, I had bought a house, so I had a mortgage, but that's different. And I, I just remember like, oh shit, now it's time to hustle. Like I'm, I'm in debt. I got to pay off this note. 
And I, and that's when I really rolled up my sleeves and started recruiting and building the company. And we, we went from like a quarter of a million to, to a million dollars in sales in, in like a couple of years because I was hustling. And this was still in the 90s. That's in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have yeah. more. Cost me my first marriage because I was just working my ass off. But, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, people refer to a lot of pop culture things that happened in the 90s, like top movies and things like that. And like Saturday Night Live, like I'm a big Saturday Night Live fan. But when I watch a repeat from the 90s, I don't, I don't recognize it at all because I work. That was my decade of just like working your ass off, you know? Yeah. And you see, I think every, I think every successful person has one decade like that where they just, they just hustled and they missed everything else in life except building their brand. And I don't want to make it sound like I've skated since then, but that's when I built what I have today. Of course. Yeah. You build it and then it becomes, and you're still putting into it. So I want to talk a little bit about your personal life and if it's okay, go into your first marriage because my vision of you, again, I've got an active imagination. I remember the pictures of Mike Walter with long hair and I just picture you going from the bowling alley scene to, you know, the bar scene to the club scene to the wedding scene with this long hair, this like gorgeous locks. You're tall, you're handsome and you're in good shape. Just kind of just in the world, man. Um, I, I'll, I'll take half of that as a, as a compliment, but the rest is a little bit exaggeration, but thank you very much. So when you're going that hard professionally and building a brand and building a business and building something that so many people in the country have, um, attempted to replicate and partially by design with your books, um, like, do you have time for the wife at the time? Listen, that was a big challenge in my first marriage. We, you know, I married a lawyer, so she was super busy and I was super busy building elite and, you know, it, it just, the, the marriage, you know, didn't, it didn't come to complete fruition because we were both super busy and, um, and, you know, listen, I'm happy where I am now. So I have no regrets. And fortunately my first wife is too. I, I've, I've stayed in touch enough with my first wife to know she's remarried. She's happy. So we're both in, in good and probably better places. But I look back on the nineties and I go, yeah, one of the things I should not have gotten married. I basically, I wasn't even in a position to be in a relationship because I was just hustling so hard. Well, and I know, but I didn't know that at the time. I know Louis C.K. has been canceled, but he's got a great quote about divorce saying there's no such thing as bad divorce. You get divorced for a reason. So I definitely understand that, um, even though some of the circumstances may be ugly. Um, yeah, there's also a joke about, do you, do you know why divorce is so expensive? Because <laughs> I guess it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> all good things. Uh, all but, right. I'm, but I'm happy to say my first divorce was not expensive at all. Like I said, my, my ex-wife was a lawyer. She had her own career. I had my own career. Neither one of us got vindictive. We didn't have kids, so there was no child support hearings and things like that. So, uh, which is probably one of the reasons why when I bump into my ex-wife, which I have from time to time, there's no animosity. There's no knives in the back and everything else because neither one of us went after the other one hard, you know. Good to hear. Yeah. And so you're missing out on the 90s. I, I remember very strongly about your hate for the grunge era and the I don't care, the lackadaisical era there. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I, I, I don't know if I hate the grunge era, but here's as a DJ, I hated it because it, to me, it just took all the fun out of music. I'm, you know, I grew up in the 80s. That's my decade. And I think the music from the 80s is awesome. The Even the heavy metal, the rock sound from the 80s, the Bon Jovi and Poison and bands like that, they were out to have a good time. And then 
um, the grunge scene comes along and it just, it sucked all the fun and the life out of music. Now, artistically, I get it. There's, there's, there's room for that and I can appreciate it. But as a DJ, it, even the colors, I mean, look at, look at what people wore in the eighties, the bright colors, the neons, and then, you know, Kirk Cobain comes along with his ripped sweater, this dark green, you know, puke colored sweater. And that was now all of a sudden the rage. And I've just, I never related to that fashion or music. So you weren't walking around your grandfather's cardigan or anything like that? I did not. I I skipped the flannel era. I I didn't, I wasn't into any of that. How about leather pants? You know, leather pants, I've tried actually. There are, there are photos of me floating around out there in leather pants. Uh, I think leather pants are cool. They have their, I mean, listen, I'm in my fifties now. There's no place for leather pants once you, once you hit a certain age. Age, uh, but yeah, I mean, I I don't think leather pants fit. I don't think Kurt Cobain ever wore leather pants, did he? I don't. That's not the image I see him in. I cannot, you know, buy or deny or deny that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, tell me more about kind of your twenties. I guess your, were you in your twenties? I, I mean, that was like. Well, the- I got started DJing when I was twenty-two. So yeah, I mean, I I kicked around. I wasted like three years in college. Um, I had, I went to such a strict high school that I remember the first day in college when they were like, we're not going to take attendance and we don't care if you're here or not. And I was like, party, you know, and I just, I didn't have the discipline at that age to focus on college. I regret it because I, I, I love education and I love knowledge and I, I wish I had stuck with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I basically wasted three years, you know, dropping out of dropping classes and getting four credits this semester and six credits the next semester. And, you know, just kind of skating until I found the mobile DJing thing, uh, which I found in my young twenties. And then I, I moved out to Jersey and I loved it. I, I, that first decade DJ and I just, I was, to me, it was just the greatest thing. Yeah, absolutely. Any, uh, any huge songs that kind of still stick with you from that era? Well, I was DJing when the electric slide blew up and I will never forget that, that era because it was really the first line dance. There were other audience participation songs prior to that. We used to do the YMCA. We used, I don't know if you, uh, do you even know a song called hands up? Is that, does that, is that even, does that resonate with you? No, the oldest one that I know of was the bunny hop, which was done by some guy outside of Philadelphia, but yeah, that's actually prior to, but hands up was this Caribbean uh, it was like YMCA because it was all hands, hands up, baby, hands up, give me your heart, give me, give me your. Anyway, there was like a whole dance routine that went to it. But when the electric slide broke on the scene, I remember as a DJ going, Oh, this is something very cool and new. Like I can now get out there and teach a dance and lead a dance. And, and that to me, it was the opening of everything. And then the Macarena followed. And then the cha-cha slide and Cupid shuffle and wobble. And we've had a number of different attempts through the years at coming up with that next big thing as far as a line dance. Some hit, some don't. But yeah, I mean, that to me was one of the first songs that I was like, oh, this is going to rock it every single gig. And I wanted to ask you, I kind of skipped over this. Where did you go to college? Queens College. Okay. And I've... Yeah. Same place uh, Jerry Seinfeld graduated from. So he and I have that in common. Very cool. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, pleasure of seeing him live many times. He's great. I um, actually learned to ride a motorcycle because I went to Queens College and the parking was horrendous at Queens College. 
but I noticed guys with motorcycles could squeeze their bikes between parked cars. And that was my motivation to learn how to ride. And do you still ride? I don't, I don't own a bike. I mainly sold it. I sold my last bike about 20 years ago now because my mom was, my mom used to worry to death about me riding. Every time I talked to my mom, have you sold that bike? Please sell the bike. I don't want you riding. Please don't ride. So I finally just sold the bike so I could make my mom happy. I miss it though. I do miss my, do you know George Whitehouse? I do. He's, he's a good friend of mine and he is an avid rider and he's constantly putting up pictures of him. And, you know, if it's a beautiful day, he goes for a hundred mile or a 200 mile ride. And I, I, I do kind of miss the freedom of it. I, I think I'll probably someday get another bike and, and get back on it. Very cool. And you're an avid runner as well. Yeah, not as much as I used to be. I went through a marathon phase for a while where I was doing multiple marathons a year and and I loved it, but my my body just couldn't take the wear and tear of 40 to 50 miles a week. But um yeah, I mean it's my it's my fitness of choice. If I could if if my body could could handle all the miles, I would still be a marathon runner because I it's the one thing I really really enjoy doing. Now, does does Kelly run with you or is that just a no. Absolutely not. She's a yoga. Kelly loves her yoga. She's actually a yoga instructor. Um, years ago, she she made a uh, an attempt at getting into running. I'll never forget this. She so she was training. We trained for a five mile race together. And at the at the start line, she said, "Now look, I want you to motivate me. I want to do great in this race. I want you to push me." So. That's what she said to me. So mile three, she's starting to hit a wall. And I'm like, come on, honey, you can do this. You got this. There's only two miles left. And uh, about five miles, uh, five minutes of that, she started crying. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm, I didn't mean to make you cry. Uh, so yeah, it's just two different uh, styles of fitness. Yoga is all about you know, pushing yourself, but not too hard and not to too much of a limit. Whereas running, especially if you're trying to run for any kind of speed or long distance, it's about pushing through the pain. And, and it's just, that's not her style. So um, how's the Patron? Let's do what would you like to try the uh, second? I, one? I, I did. I liked it. Yeah. Let's try another one. All right. So we're going to go to the second Blanco. And when it comes to Blancos, these are the uh, tequilas that I prefer to mix with when it comes to uh, making like margaritas or Palomas. Very good mixers. This is Sierra Azul. And the gentleman who has the distiller of this tequila owns a restaurant in Philadelphia called Tequilas. But uh, his tequilas are very, very highly regarded. And I think I've been there, actually. Fantastic, if you have, yeah. That sounds familiar. I'm only doing half of these pours. Should I do the whole thing? Um, I, I want to get through this podcast and not sound like a bumper. kind of rough. So I'm going to do half pours. Yeah, let's, half is good. Yeah, good. So I'm just going to pour that. So while I'm pouring this, if you have the uh, free mouth, I guess you could say, tell me how you met Kelly, because uh, being a busy DJ and busy professional owning a business. Did you I actually hear Kelly coming down the steps. Are you coming to say goodbye, hon? Okay. Love you. I'll see you in the morning. Okay. Um, Kelly and I have a very unique story. I DJed Kelly's first wedding. Okay. I was the DJ at her wedding in 1997, I think it was, 96 or 97. Um, and when people hear that, they think scandal. They think, oh, my God, what, you know, what were you hitting on your brides and blah, blah, blah. It's the, it, it is the least scandalous story other than the fact that I DJed her wedding. Um, I saw her again um, at her cousin's wedding like a year later. I was with my first wife at the time. My first wife used to work with me. 
So I saw Kelly and her husband. Hey, how you doing? Great to see you. Great to see you. I think I bumped into her again one other time and she was still married. I was still married. So, you know, great to see you again. And then a number of years after that, her mom called the office to book a holiday party. And um, as soon as she said, yeah, this is Elaine O'Neill. And I said, oh, yeah, Kelly's mom. Oh, I said, how are Kelly and Chris doing? And she said, not so good. They're getting a divorce. And it probably didn't happen exactly like this. But in my memory, I went, oh, really? <laughs> and and because I was divorced at the time or going through my divorce. And um, I was super excited to hear it because I always thought Kelly was an extremely attractive woman, very personable. We got along the few times we saw each other. So from there, I kind of sought her out and asked her out on a, a first safe lunch date. And uh, it kind of went from there. That's amazing. So how much time was there in between the first call, I mean, pardon me, the, her wedding, her first wedding, and the call from her mother? I guess five years. Yeah, five years. Knowing you like I know you and how often you DJ, you, you must have had some, like, I mean, I, it's a tough thing to say, but she stuck, she struck a chord with you. She stuck out for me. Yes, Kelly definitely stuck out for me. Um, I thought she was extremely attractive. And like I said, the few times we bumped into each other, personable, we got along, everything else. But I, I'm also not, I don't, I would never, what's the, what's the line? Never rub another man's rhubarb. I would never flirt with anybody or hit on somebody who's married. So to me, when we bumped into each other, it was, you know, oh, hi, nice to meet you. It wasn't until I heard she's getting a divorce that I, my ears perked up and I was like, okay. And so am I. So that's, that works out perfect. You know? So when was this, uh, the first uh, lunch date? I remember it was right after 9-11. Yeah, because that whole year was so dark. So that was late 2001. And I remember we had the lunch date and then we had like one other date right before, you know, during the holidays of 2001. And I remember waking up on New Year's Day thinking it's going to be a new year because that because 2001 was so dark and miserable with 9-11 and everything else. Uh, and I remember thinking, oh, you've just met a great woman. She seems to like you. And maybe this is a turning point in, in my personal, you know, darkness, which yeah. I felt that way. And you guys got married in, uh, 2000. We got married eight years. We're celebrating our eighth anniversary. We, we lived together for quite a while. Not that we were anti-marriage, but without having kids, neither one of us felt like the urgency to get married. And then after a while, it was like, we own a house together. We home, we have two dogs. Like, what, like, well, let's just do this. And we both love a big party. So it was a great excuse to throw like a kick-ass party, you know? So who was the DJ at your wedding then? Um, I know I know a lot of DJs find this to be a controversial statement. Uh, I had a band at my wedding. Okay. I mean, I, I don't think that's a bad choice at all. I mean, you're going to be so yeah. with DJs and it might even seem like work for you. You know, there was there's a number of different reasons why we chose a band. First of all, when Kelly and I do go out, it's most often to see live music. We very rarely, unless it's a friend of mine spinning somewhere, we very rarely go to a club to see a DJ. Um, secondly, I knew it was going to be a room full of DJs and whoever was spinning for that crowd was going to have a hard time. <laughs> Whereas a band, you know, this is not something any of us do. So, so they were much more impressive. And, and like you said, none of us would be working. Like when I hear a DJ spinning, even if I'm trying not to focus on them, I hear a mix like, oh shit, I got to steal that mix. That was great. Or, Hey, that was a cool thing to say. 
But with a band, I, I, I didn't have that feeling all night long. I felt like I was a groom. I was off and I was there to celebrate. I wasn't working at all. And to that, I say, cheers. What do you think of the Sayambra Azul? I like this very much. Yeah. I, I, like I think I prefer the Patron, but I do like this. Cool, cool. So all the tequilas I've chosen for you, with the exception of number seven, which is a joke, if you'd see on your sheet, um, it's a actually Costco brand tequila. Oh, you got me a Costco brand. Did you send me a cheat sheet? I did. Yeah. So there's a little tasting guide. Oh, I see. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't open that. Oh, that's all good. That's all good. So, um, yeah, the Costco brand is the only brand that has additives in it. Um, so the, with the tequila bylaws in uh, Mexico, tequilas are allowed to put in up to 1% of additives that aren't 100% pure blue agave. Okay. Those additives are usually sweeteners and they use them to correct batches to give uniformity. So I get it. Um, so when they first made that law, the additives weren't that strong. Now with artificial sweeteners, additives can be pretty strong to manipulate tastes. So Got it. All the tequilas here, if you want to get nerdy, are 100% blue agave with no additives. Uh, I don't think it's nerdy at all. I think that's it's it's cool knowledge. I have done uh, like whiskey tasting tours and uh, scotch tasting tours and obviously beer. Um, and I, 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 I find the process of creating this stuff to be really interesting. And I also always wonder how do we, meaning mankind, know to do this like how did we know to do this who who was the first person that and i'm sure it was an accident created tequila and then went oh this shit's pretty good let's work on this and let's improve this you know what i mean like i don't know the history behind tequila but that that to me is fascinating how we got here you know i mean i'm even more simplistic than that i wonder how we thought to milk a cow any you know what alex anything like that you're right how did we and, and not only how do we think to milk a cow, but who thought, oh, I can drink that or I'll try to drink that or, you know what I mean? That's not just for the, the calf to drink, but I'll, I'll drink it. Yeah. Um, I mean, anything like that. How did we, how did we know to grind wheat to, um, or grain to create wheat? I don't know how we, as, as human beings came up with all that knowledge. It's pretty wild. So I want to yeah. get your authorship here, getting, getting back onto uh, the Mike Walter track. What was your first book? My first book is still unpublished to, to this date. I wrote a novel um, and showing how busy I was in the 90s. I wrote, I wrote a novel in the 90s uh, about the nightclub scene. And um, it's about a guy who owns a club called The Edge. And that's the name of the book, The Edge. And um, through a series of machinations, he loses the club. And um, But yeah, I, I, I thought it was good. I had an agent for it. And he my agent was convinced it was going to sell. And I've got uh, an envelope in the other room with about eight or nine rejection letters from some of the top uh, publishing firms. Simon and Schuster turned it down. Little Brown turned it down. So, I mean, I guess it's a small accomplishment that I got that far with the project, but I never did sell it. Um, so that was my first attempt at writing. And then the first book that I self-published is called Running Your Multi-Op, which is uh, basically pretty self-explanatory. It's everything I can share with the reader about growing a business, DJ business. And that's, that's what I mentioned earlier as the, uh, you know, your elite entertainment was the formula for so many DJ companies because I, my first um, job other than being a DJ in 2005, I was handed a uh, mobile co DJ company to be a general manager of. I knew, I knew nothing beyond about business, beyond DJing. 
And um, I, I don't know when that book came out. I feel like I might have gotten around 2009, 2010. Was that so you were handed my book, in other words? I was not handed your book. I bought your book. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. you bought it. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I was really lucky, Alex, and I've made this point many, many times in my career. I got started with an established DJ company. They were a pretty big multi-op in, in North Jersey. And, and like I said, they, they fizzled out that the owners were young and they made some mistakes. They got themselves into debt. But before that, prior to that, they basically taught me so much about what I eventually took to elite entertainment to become successful. So um, whatever blueprint you might have followed or whatever blueprint other people have followed through my book, a lot of that came from the two guys at Star DJs. And, and that's John Murphy and Rick Aldi, who I, I to this day tip my cap to and, and give a lot of credit to because they helped me tremendously get my start. I know we're going to have a handful of DJs listening to this, to them out there. I just want to say knowledge is power. Mike's book is great. Gave me a lot of nuggets to, in terms of hiring, a lot of hiring and training and music nuggets. I'll definitely say. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And I know there's a DJ's vault out there and that's amazing in and of itself, especially if you're launching, but definitely both things have their merits. Thank you, Alex. So going back to the first book, the novel, how did that failure affect you? Were you too busy to let it get you down or does that, does failure not really affect you that much? That's a great question. I actually remember taking the call from my agent who said, yeah, we just got our last rejection letter. So we're, you know, we're going to, I'm going to put this on the shelf. I don't think it's going to sell, which was about a month after the conversation I had with him where he was like, I want to sign you. I think I can sell this. I think I can find a place for it. Um, I don't, I, I'd like to not think that it rocked my world, but I'll say this. I haven't written a novel since I've attempted, I've, I've had some ideas and I've gotten started, but I haven't been able to complete a novel since. So I don't know whether that initial rejection, um, and failure, uh, sucked out my creative juices from writing a novel. I don't know. I've always chalked it up to, oh, I'm just too busy when I, you know, someday when I retire or semi-retire, I'll, I'll have enough time to sit around and create a novel and come up with a novel. Cause I know I can write and I don't say that to be cocky. Some people can write, some people can't. I, some people literally, when you sit them down at a laptop or at a typewriter, they just, they can talk, but they can't write. And, and I can do both. I can bullshit onto the page. So I know I can do that, but my problem is I just haven't had another story arc that I've, that I've come up with that I, that I can put together. Understood. Yeah. And so in the era of self-publishing and, and that's, I assume the route you've taken with your other books, especially with such a strong DJ network, has the thought ever crossed your mind to potentially let that see the light of day? It has actually, I've, I've dusted it off and I've reread it and it, you know, it, I'm proud of it in some spots and some spots. I mean, I wrote it when I was probably 24, 25. So some spots I'm a little embarrassed by. So I've actually, I don't think I would ever publish what's now on the page, but I think I, I would probably rewrite it and give it a little bit more of a, first of all, I'd have to give them a more modern feel as far as the music goes and also technology. I mean, unless I wanted to set it in the nineties, which would have its challenges, you know, there's no cell phones in my book. There's no internet in my book because those things didn't exist back then. So um, I, I would have to either modernize it or purposefully place it in the 90s, you know. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. So what was your second book then? Well, running your multi-op, um, that, and then, I mean, I wrote a mini book. I don't know if you've seen it, but that 10 things, well, you have, you referenced it earlier, yeah, 10 things you can do to have a great day. Yeah, it's on my bed, just bed my uh, stand. Which was really just a seminar that I put together that 
Alan Berg saw me do the seminar and he said, you know what, Mike, that would make a great little book. And he showed me because he had this publisher that prints these tiny little, the, the, you know, the, the size of it is, and it's, but it's perfect for that format. And I printed a bunch of them up and I, I sold a good number of them at $5 a pop. So it's not like I made a ton of money at them, but now I just, I, I still have a few sitting in the closet back in the office and I'll, I'll send them out as gifts from time to time. It's a good vibes book. It's a good, it's easy enough that you could digest it in, in a half hour. So if you're ever feeling down on yourself, it's uh it's a good little pick me up. And if you're a DJ's vault member, I believe that's in there for free. It might be. I, you know, last year when we went into shutdown, uh, I, I released a PDF on the, on uh, social media and I just put it out there for free. I said, look, this is my gift to you guys and gals. If you need a little quick, pick me up. It's just, you know, all the advice I can offer as far as, you know, trying to, uh, focus on your fitness, focus on your mental health, focus on your relationship. As Alex says, one of the, one of the tips is have sex, uh, because you know, intimacy is something you shouldn't lose in a relationship. And it's healthy endorphins. Exactly. Yeah. So at the end of a long day, if you've had a rough day, um, what's your go-to beverage? Um, I don't know that I have a go-to. I mean, Kelly and I have gotten into bourbons a lot lately. We we were in Kentucky four years ago, I think it was, and we did a couple bourbon tastings, and we both kind of developed a, a good taste for bourbon. So we probably, as far as our bar upstairs, we we it stocked more with bourbons than any other uh, type of alcohol. But Kelly loves gin, so uh, sometimes she'll do a gin and I'll do a bourbon, or or we'll both do a gin. But I also love wine. It's funny when you said, uh, "Would you say bourbon in the winter?" and tequila in the summer, my thought was I'm the same way with wine. I'm a red wine drinker in the winter. And usually by the time summer rolls around, I'm having a lot lighter fare as far as food goes. So I tend to pair it with a white wine as opposed to a red one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I saw so when I come home from a gig, I mean, I'll mix myself a drink. Sometimes I'll open a beer. Um, I also like a port, uh, you know, and, and like a heavier dessert wine I, I enjoy sometimes. Yeah, and I saw that your mother has fantastic taste. Did she get you Blanton? God, my mom got me a Blanton's. I couldn't believe it. She gave that to me for Christmas. And I had, and that's not my mom's true. My mom's not a bourbon drinker at all. But yeah, she said, oh, I understand you like bourbon. So here I, I asked the guy at the liquor store, what's a good one? And yeah, that is a good bourbon. I, I told, because we make uh, old fashioned sometimes. So I pointed to that. I pointed that out to Kelly and I said, we do not make old fashions with <laughs> this. This is simply for sipping. That's too good a bourbon to mix with, uh, with anything, you know. Yeah, that's big ups to your mom. I know that's uh, all of those uh, Buffalo Trace bourbons are allocated, which means- yeah extremely in rare supply and bourbon is the big trend right now. It's we've kind of, I know you're not supposed to do this with a gift, but I looked up how much that bottle and I was like, wow, my mom loves me. I didn't know my mom loved me that much. That's an expensive bottle of bourbon. Unless yeah. you find it at a retailer at, at retail, which is, you know, tough to do. Uh, that's going to be a probably $250, $300 bottle. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it looked like. Yeah. Thanks mom. Yeah. Amen. Thanks mom. Um, so I want to go a little bit more into your biggest book and the, the big, the book that I think you probably are the most proud of on this date in music. I definitely am. I'm, I'm extremely proud of that book to this day. Someone will text me and say, I love today's excerpt. And, and now I'm listening to, 
you know, the doors all day, or I'm listening to the Beatles all day, or I'm listening to the Bee Gees, or, or I went back and watched this video. So um, yeah, it's it, people are reading it exactly how I, uh, how I intended it. One excerpt a day, which is a five to 10 minute read a day. And then hopefully you take some time to listen to the song or album that's been talked about. Very cool. I'm going to take a pause here. Let's move on to Reposado. Let's start off with the, um, this is actually a, another pretty expensive bottle, not crazy expensive, but the uh, Jose Cuervo Reserva de la Familia. So Cuervo is very much known for their cheap swill tequilas, and this is the opposite. They do. Lim- I don't see a Jose Cuervo. Um, does it? Do you see a Reserva de la Family? Reserva Reposta. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Oh, that's it. Yep. Reserva Reposado. It's a. This is a. Uh, this is a Cuervo, huh? Yeah. 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 I was going to say my introduction to tequila back in the day was Cuervo Gold, and that's and you had to do the lemon and uh and salt yeah, yeah because it was so bitter that you basically shot it what did, what did you used to do the salt shoot it and then the lemon right or lime yep. yeah because yep. it was so bitter let's see and, and it wasn't until years and years later that i had a quality tequila and i was like oh wait there's a difference here you don't have to you don't have to shoot this and then and then chase it with something yeah and, and so the Cheaper tequilas or the mass-produced tequilas. Pretty solid. Um, so this the, is solid, but yes, it definitely reminds me of that Cuervo taste. Yeah, it's, it has. It definitely has it a little bit. Um, so the Reposado... It doesn't have the bitterness, but yeah, it does. Yeah, the, the Reposados are aged just a little bit, three months or so, three months up to a year. Um, so you, And they're aged in bourbon barrels usually, or uh, un, unaged oak barrels. But yeah, tequila, man, like everybody, I feel like tequila, at least when you're in your 20s or before like the uh, resurgence of craft tequilas, I guess you would say, or well-made tequilas, um, they, they were kind of that drink you just had and just almost like mock yourself, like to punish yourself. Right. Like, I'm going right. to buy shots to punish my friends. Yeah. I didn't know whether it was an age thing or whether the whole craft tequila thing is just new now. Like I, when I was drinking tequila back in the 90s, I, what were there... Patrons and other like super quality tequilas out that I just wasn't aware of. There were, but not so. Patron, I don't, I don't know when Patron came to. I think that was mid two thousands. Okay, but all of these um, distilleries existed in Mexico and they were enjoyed and celebrated. I guess you could say in Mexico, um, in uh, the, well the tequila region, which is actually Tequila Mexico or Jalisco Mexico, Jalisco. Pardon me, I'm I'm white. I'm a gringo here. So they all existed, but they just weren't as, um, I guess you could say distributed. Right. So yeah, that's, that's the big difference is just the distribution to the United States. And that probably has a lot to do with the internet and just people, you know, the tighter woven communities. Right. Yeah. And then word gets around, you know. So yeah. on the state and music started as at least a series of Facebook posts, but they, it, still, it had to start with one Facebook post. And when you made that post, did you have the idea that you were going to make a book out of this? What was not at all? No, one of the earliest ones. I don't know if this was the first one, but one of the earliest ones that I, I woke up one morning and I read that it was the, I don't know, maybe the 40th anniversary of the movie Greece being released. 
And so I just put up a post about, you know, happy anniversary, Greece. If you, you know, if you love the movie, you probably love this music. And I, I might've told like one or two quick behind the scenes stories from the movie. Uh, and that got, that got some traction and people were like, oh, that was interesting. That was fun. And, you know, I went back and listened to the soundtrack and then, and I don't even think it was the next day. It was maybe a couple of days later that I told another story. Um, and, and then it just, I started going, this would be cool to do this every day on Facebook. And the main reason I thought about it was I, I like to look back on, you know, Facebook has their memories thing every day. So I usually spend 10 minutes every morning looking at what did I do a year ago today? What did I do two years ago today, three years ago and all the way back. And I just thought, well, this would be fun. If I put up a post every day for a year, then I'll always have something to look back on musically. Although every day of the year, I'll be able to look back in my own personal memories. But very quickly, it took on legs of its own where people were like, you, you got to keep this going. I want to read this every morning. And, and, um, and then it just became an obsession. And I just started like, and the, and the post started getting a little bit longer and a little bit longer and more in depth and more research. And, and uh, it was a crazy, crazy, basically year and a half of writing all of those things and putting them out. And then very soon into putting them on Facebook, I realized this is going to be a book. I can, I can compartmentalize these and put them all into a book. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's that whole year when you were doing it, I very much look forward to every day reading that excerpt. And then they were always great. They were, Thank they, you. The book that I own is, is great. And now, did you self-publish that or did you shop? I it? did. I shopped it. I actually went back to my original agent who had uh, tried to rep the edge. And he said, you know what, Mike, it sounds like a good idea. It's just not my, it's not my cup of tea. So I like novels. And he even said to me, it was 30 years after the fact, he's like, if you ever write another novel, I'd love to read it, but this it's just not my kind of book. And so I shopped it to a number of different publishing houses that I thought would be interested in it, but couldn't find a buyer. So I ultimately self-published. So the self-publishing process, is that easy, expensive? Uh, it's not expensive at all. It's, um, it's fairly easy. I mean, you basically have to upload your document to, uh, there's a number of different um, services you can use. I went with CreateSpace because they're owned by Amazon. And I just thought if anyone's going to, you know, I'm going to sell most of my books on Amazon. So if anybody's going to, if they're going to push any book, it's going to be something that they're making more money off of. Um, and I thought their interface was really easy. You just, I took my word document, I uploaded it. I had to do some formatting and fixing. Um, I had a very good friend of mine design the cover, which I will always give him so much credit for my friend, Steve Adio, uh, who is a graphic designer and graphic artist and an incredible artist. Um, I, I pitched him the idea and I had a few visuals that I could think of as the cover. And so he gave me a few mock-ups of the suggestions that I had made, but then he also said, I hope you don't mind. I, I, you know, came up with a few of my own. Tell me what you think of these. And one of them was that vinyl cover, just a picture of the, you know, vinyl record with, instead of a record label, the title of the book. And I said, Steve, you nailed it. I, I said, don't even look, you know, throw everything else out. Let's focus on that. And we, you know, we played around with the color of the label and everything else, but that was the, to me, I don't know how I missed it. I don't know why I didn't think about that as a, as a book cover, but Steve just nailed it with that. Yeah. It's an absolutely beautiful cover. The, and the entire book is actually very beautiful. Great Thank you. Table book. Good. It's actually right in my living room and on our bookshelf out there. So it's one of my uh, vanity books, I guess you could say. Thank you. Like five or six books out there. 
So very, very cool. And any, any other books in the future working on anything else? Like as far as written, you know, I actually, I'm really disappointed. I just, I, I came up with an idea for a novel recently. And then I, Kelly and I were having lunch with some friends and I brought it up and, and the guy went, and uh, I'm pretty sure somebody wrote a book like that already. And I researched it and it did. I had this idea of a $20 bill that, you know, you think about any currency, how often it gets passed around to person to person and goes into this cash register and given to this. And I had an idea of, of just following the life of a $20 bill from the very first person who gets it crisp and brand new to who, you know, how long he holds it to who he spends it on, who he gives it to and where it goes. And I just thought it would be a really a great way to tell like a bunch of different short stories. Uh, but yeah, sure enough, somebody actually wrote a book like that. So um, I was kind of bummed because I'd written about, a, a, I don't know, maybe 50 pages already. And then I was like, ah, somebody did it already. But yeah, I don't know. I'll come up with something someday, maybe, like I said, maybe in retirement or semi-retirement. Well, and that would be more of a novel form too, right? That was a, that was a pure fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I have a, I have a very difficult time reading fiction books. I can... I, I would love to, I could really only read like business books, factual books, books, motivational books, things like that. Do you like movies? I do. I love movies. Yeah. I love movies and I love fiction. It's got to be good fiction. It's got to hook me in. But I mean, sometimes Kelly actually gets annoyed. Like if I'm reading a good, good book, I don't want to put it down. And, you know, she'll be like, come on, we got to leave for dinner. And I'm like, oh, I got five pages left. I want to. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know what it is. I, I just, I, if I get into a good book, I can't put it down. And I, I love books because at least the idea of books, because you can paint your own picture. You're not being spoon fed a picture, a visual right. script. You know, you're able to kind of use your imagination and come up with your own uh, identity for the character. Yeah, there have been plenty of books that I've read that have become movies and and I've loved the book and then I watched the movie and I go this isn't how I visualize it. That's not, I didn't I didn't picture him looking like that. I didn't picture their house looking like that. I didn't you know what I mean? So yeah, I, and that's one of the things I think I like about a good novel is you can lose yourself in it and it becomes your own world, you know. Yeah. So let's pour the next one. This actually one this one is one of my personal favorites. It's not expensive. It's easy to find, but it's a true representative of what a reposado should be. You get really, really good spicy notes with just a little title. Oh, is this the it's the El, El Tesoro reposado? El Tesoro. Yep. So now tell me why is that last one had a little coloring to it, and then this one is crystal clear again. So it's probably the barrels that they're aging in. Is that what provides the coloring? Yep. Yeah, that's that's why. Um, you know, the uh, Blancos are white and the Reposados are just a little bit darker. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure why the Jose, the Cuervo is very dark for a Reposado. Okay. So this is the El Tesoro. It's spicy. That's but nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you keep track of how many weddings you've DJed in your career? I do. What number are we at? Uh, well, I should say I do every January 1st. I'm a, I'm a big numbers guy. And so I, every year at the end of the year, I add up what I did, how many did I do last year, and then add it together for my career total. Um, and I just passed 2,400 weddings. Um, 
So I'm probably I'm probably closing in on twenty five hundred. Okay. Yeah. That is that's weddings. Yep. I'm well over three thousand events, but that's weddings. So doing my research on Elite Entertainment before we had this chat, I of course Googled Elite Entertainment, and I love the expert on ex- excerpt from your website. What was it tens of thousands of weddings? I, I don't a hundred percent remember. Did you write that yourself? Was that your- I'm sure I did. Yeah, I don't. I don't know exactly, but anything on our website, I'm sure I wrote. Yeah, no, yeah. it's very, very well written. I was like, that's so cool, because that is one, that's your strength. That's when I mean, you guys have power in numbers. You know, Alex, it it is, but you also, and this is this has been pointed out to me by numerous by numerous people. You don't want to sell experience too too much in this industry because then people can do the math and figure out how old you are, and. <laughs> Um, I would just as soon my brides not know that I'm 54 years old. So, and I, I've been fortunate. I've been able to keep the hair to, and it's, and it's no plants and I'm not, and I don't dye my hair. And I don't say that to you as a bald man, cause <laughs> you, you pull off bald very well. Um, but I've been lucky that I've kept the hair and, and the hair isn't great. I mean, there is some gray in it, but I don't know what it is. I've got just a freak of DNA that I was able to hold on to this. So if if brides think that I'm a decade younger than I am, I I'm, I would never lie to them. If somebody asked me how old I am, I would tell them. But I do everything I can to mask that. So you won't see on the website. Mike's been DJing for 32 years because then people can go, okay, well he's got to be at least 50, right? So I, at this point, I really just say I have decades of experience. Okay. That's vague enough to let people know I've got a lot of experience. But I'd rather you not know how old I am. Now, have you ever, do you feel like you've ever lost an event or a wedding because of your age? Yes. But fortunately, it usually goes to somebody younger on my staff. Okay. So okay. Elite didn't necessarily lose it. But I'm, yeah, I have no doubt. And listen, we, we all lose and also gain events based on a number of different, you know, demographics and physical. And you, you've lost events because you're too short. And you've gained events because you're in great shape. I'm sure that there are some brides who go, yeah, we want the we want the guy who's in great shape, you know. And some brides have gone, nah, I was looking for a taller guy, or I was, you know, what I mean. So, and they won't tell you that. No one's ever going to say to you, Alex, I didn't book you because you're you're not tall enough, or Mike, I didn't book you because you're too old. They're not going to tell you, but you know, you you it you, we'd be denying the truth if we didn't if we thought that that those things didn't happen. I agree, and I think probably a lot of that is even subconscious. Like they probably couldn't point that out to you. You know what? Great point. Absolutely. They wouldn't tell you because maybe they don't even know. I remember a number of years ago, we had a guy on staff who he came to us from Kansas, big stocky. He played uh, college football, six foot two, blonde hair, great looking guy. And unfortunately, he had a he had a family emergency back in Kansas and he had to move back to Kansas. So he left me with about a dozen weddings that I had to reassign. And I called every one of those brides and they were all, oh, we were really hoping we would have him, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what is it you loved about him? Because I'll help you find somebody else on staff. And none of them could really voice it. And it's because whether it was conscious or subconscious, they had the hots for the guy. And not that they were going to cheat on him on their wedding day or anything, but they thought the guy that, you know, he ticked off a bunch of their boxes. And so, yeah, I mean, we are in an aesthetic business. And if anyone in, if any DJ wants to deny that they're lying to themselves. Well, and that's actually one of the things that I picked up from uh, your DJ, like training, not training your next great DJ. Um, what is it? Running your multi. Running your multi. Yes. Yeah. Sorry about that. 
um, was that was in your hiring section. You said, you know, I tend to hire more attractive people because you're magnetized them to you. You can't explain yeah. that you want to work. With exactly. Them. Yeah. So you sit down and watch TV someday, watch, you know, three hours of TV and then tell me how many ugly people you saw and <laughs> even how many mediocre looking people you saw. Zero. Yep. That it's show business. It's it's entertainment. We you know we are judged against the best looking people, and so you you have to think about that. And I'm not trying to claim that I'm any kind of Adonis or great looking guy, but I do my best to keep myself in shape and to keep myself looking as youthful as possible, and also acting as youthful as possible. And the DJs who I am connected with who don't do those things, I I, I wonder why they're not. And then. And when they're complaining about lack of work, I think to myself, well, maybe you should look in the mirror. Maybe, maybe that's why. Well, everyone's undercutting me. Well, maybe it's not that. Yeah, it's your visual. That's your visual brand. And exactly how you carry yourself, how you take care of yourself, what shape you're in, how you dress, that all matters. Yeah. So you don't have By to. By the way, can we tell the story about um, what you said to me in Tampa? <laughs> so this was uh, DJ Collective number two. Yeah. It was my first collective. Okay. I didn't go to number one. I wasn't invited. I wasn't one of the cool kids, <laughs> but I got invited to two. And uh, it was in this boutique hotel in Tampa. And it was the second or third day. And I got on the elevator early in the morning to go for a run. And Alex got on the elevator too. So I said, Alex, come for a run with me. And you said, if I remember correctly, you said, no, I have an Uber showing up to take me to a gym. And I knew that there was a gym in the hotel. And I'm like, Alex, you know, there's a gym in this hotel. And you said to me, yeah, but it doesn't have enough weights. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I'm like, God damn, my man lifts a lot of weights. If this, if the hotel gym doesn't have enough weights, I'll never forget that. I, this hotel, I mean, that's a great story. And I, I love hearing it. It's, it definitely inflates my ego. So I feel good hearing it. But it's, it's more of a case of just like, they've got like these little 40 pound weights. You can't just... I don't know. I, I could spend two hours in there and get some kind of exhaustion or fatigue in my muscles, but right. I could go to a real gym and do 45 minutes. Of and it was worth it for you to find a different gym and take an Uber to it, which I think is great. And, and it shows, and again, I was heading out for my run, which is my preference of that's how I wanted to get my day started. And you wanted to get your day started by lifting more iron than was available in, in the hotel. Well, and I, and I did, I did a solo podcast a couple of weeks ago and I said straight up, I was like, I think everybody should work out everything. Everybody should get some sort of sweat in, but I'm not here to tell you that lifting weights is the best way to do that. It's just the way that I prefer to do it, something I enjoy. So I'm more prone to do something I enjoy. And it's, you're never going to have something that's sustainable in terms of fitness if you don't enjoy it. I agree. And, and like I said, that's, that's the reason I run. It's the only thing I really enjoy doing. I have weights over here next to me and I have a life cycle, which I get on because I have to, and I know that that's what I got to do to, to keep myself in quote unquote shape. But yeah, if I had my druthers and my, my knees and ankles could handle it, I would run eight miles a day every day. And, and I kind of want to get more into other DJs and, and their appearance and things like that, because there are a lot of DJs out there, you know, especially in the community that we're in and, and we're so well networked that, yeah, it's sad to see, you know, you've got somebody in a suit that doesn't fit them right. It's like, you know, they've got, five o'clock shadows, they kind of just, I'm not taking care of themselves. You don't have to be beautiful naturally. You don't have to be Marcello, pardon me. Right. Yes. Yeah. You can, as long as you take care of yourself and the package that you've been given, you know, and your genetics, yeah, you're going to do fine, but. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's one of the things 
that I'm, I'm really surprised some people in our industry and some people do, some people focus on it and realize it's part of their brand and realize they, they, you know, if you want to keep yourself relevant and getting booked as much as possible, that's one thing you could control. There's a lot of things we can't control, but that's one thing you can control. And the people who don't put any emphasis on that, I just go, I, I don't know, you're missing out, dude. And I, I get even a little bit more of a dick. Like I think it kind of shows lack of personal discipline, which could carry over to how you conduct your business as well. Uh, I, I think there's a legitimate point to be made about that. I think the same thing when I see a smoker sometimes and I try not to judge people and, but man, when I see somebody sucking away on a cigarette, I'm like, really, man, you, you know, and I believe me, I smoked as a kid and a teenager, even into my early twenties, I smoked cigarettes. It was peer pressure. It was a cool thing. But once I got old enough to realize, yeah, this thing is killing me. It's making me smell horrible and it's costing me a lot of money why am I doing this? And, and that was, I didn't need any patch or hypnosis. I just literally threw, I woke up one morning and I was like, why am I smoking? And I threw a pack of cigarettes away. So have you ever had a period where you've let yourself go? Oh yeah, physically. Absolutely. I, I and again, this is the the nineties. I was out of shape. Um, I did not focus on my fitness throughout the nineties. Now I was in my thirties, so you can get away with a lot more. And I remember reading a quote, and I, I don't know if I've ever confirmed that it was Woody Allen, because it doesn't seem like a Woody Allen quote, but I, I thought I remembered reading that Woody Allen said, the shape you're in at 40 is the shape you're going to be in the rest of your life. And it's obviously not 100% true, because you can change at any point. But I think there is some truth to that, that by the time you hit 40, you've established your habits and, and your discipline and everything else. And I was approaching 40 at the time, and I was probably 40 pounds overweight and not active at all. And I just said, all right, let's live by that quote and get yourself in shape. And I ran my first marathon when I was 39. And I ran my second marathon just after I turned 40. And, and I haven't looked back. I've been, the last 15 years, I've been in much better shape than I was the previous 15 years. Very nice. Yeah. I, but yeah, there are pictures of me in, in my thirties from the nineties where I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> don't let that float around too much. Unless it's the before picture. We're going to move on to the extra anejos. I actually skipped anejos. So anejos are aged um, three months to, um, I believe actually no one year to three years. All right. So I don't, so tell me which one I'm so going the extra for. Anejos, uh, your first one you want to do is the uh, Tapiato Alexant. Got it. Excellencia. Got it. Pardon me. Now we're back to a darker color here. And I, I guess what would you call it? Amber? So they're aged. They're smoother. They're meant to be sipped neat or over a cube. Just Do you like, know what kind of aging we're talking about? How long is this thing sitting so in the barrel? We are talking about one year to three year for regular Anejo. Extra Anejo, which is uh, the two that are here, are three plus years. So there's no, isn't that great dedication when you think about it? Like, like the, the, the people who make that tequila, think about putting a product in a barrel and then going, I'll see you three years from now. You know, that's some, there's some dedication involved there. Think about some of the scotches and bourbons that are, you know, 15, 15, 20 years. I know. Right. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So these are just a little bit smoother. You still get the agave taste in there. That is nice. Yeah. It's not nearly as sweet though, as some of the earlier ones. Right. Um, so some of them actually can get sweeter just from the barrel and the caramelizing. 
Okay. This one isn't overly sweet. And I want to tell you a story about how I let myself go because it actually just popped in my head. I haven't told it in forever. So I was just out of college and I was DJing and then kind of doing the circuit and everything. And I had youth on my side, but I was five foot five as I still am. And I was 220 pounds, no muscle. And so, that wasn't too, that's not 220 pounds of muscle. That was overweight. I didn't know what the gym was, I had little stick arms. Yeah, man, I look terrible. I cannot picture you that way, knowing you as I do now, but okay, I'll accept it. So I was hooking up with a girl and she was playing with my man boobs while I was hooking up with her. <laughs> That's a great story, Alex. Flopping them. <laughs> like, not, I oh my God. And I, I don't think she had any harm whatsoever. It's a nice, sweet girl. Um, right. Yeah, kind of playing with them. I'm like, I'm a fat fuck. I got to take care of this. So yeah, that was, and that was your come to Jesus moment. Yeah. Now I've had moments where, you know, I've, I've kind of fluctuated a little bit, but I've stayed pretty steady for the last, uh, you know, probably 20 years now. That's great. That is a great story. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? The, I, I dated a girl years ago who worked at uh, one of the diet places, the Jenny Craig or something like that. And one of the questions I always ask people when they came in was, you know, what was your motivating factor? What brought you in today? And more than half of the people said, I saw a photo of myself. Yeah. And, and that, that can be it sometimes. So you, cause you don't look at yourself in the mirror fairly and everything else. And then one day you look at a picture and you go, who the fuck is that fat fuck? And then you go, that's me. And you realize, or you have a chick playing with your man boobs. That's yeah. a great story. Yeah, dude, it is. And she was cute too. But yeah, so that was, that was, that was what started it for me. That's, that was not the future Mrs. Nepa, huh? No, no, she no. did not exist. Although close enough. I, I feel like I'm like you and Kelly. Um, I've got the mother of my daughter. We live together. We've been together for probably 10 plus years on and off. And yeah. That's oh, what... so you're not, I didn't know that you were, you're not married. No, no. Oh, God bless. But you live with your baby mama. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's basically a family. It's, you know, it's your family. And there's been no pressure from her. Not a lot. Now she's okay. more above us here. And if she, I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, so I'm sorry if I'm getting personal here, but, but we're also five tequilas in. So this yeah. is your fucking fault. <laughs> no. So yeah. I and mean, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to, uh, you know, say it, but the marriage thing will happen soon. I don't know whether it's okay. I don't know whether it's something about our industry or that I've done so many weddings, you know, that I'm a little bit hesitant about it. I'd probably have to talk to my therapist. Have you ever seen a therapist, by the way? I have twice in my life. Okay. I've seen a therapist. Yeah. And both times uh, I thought it was a very needed um, thing. And I, I, I didn't go for too, too long, but uh, helped me through some two rough patches in my life. And I highly recommend it. Yeah. I, I recommend it to everybody. Yeah. yeah. Are you currently... No. Seeing a therapist? Uh, it's been about a year, so, you've, so a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like the way. Yeah, that I, th I think one of the good things is I don't think there's a stigma around it anymore, and there shouldn't be. I think for many years it was, oh my god, you're going to therapy? What's what's wrong with you? But yeah, I think fortunately we've gotten rid of the stigma, and it's like any other doctor. You know, if you if your ankle hurts, you you go to see a you go to see a doctor about it. Um, and if you're having a, you know, just something that you want to talk about, or you're struggling through a difficult time, the, the therapy is the way to go. Yeah. And it's, I mean, they used to call them head shrinkers. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's like they're, they're insulting them as what they call them, what they call them. I, my grandfather would call them that, but I, I do really, really love the era that we're in and the consciousness for mental health. And they even have iPhone apps that can, you know, take the place of therapists if you're too busy or too ashamed to visit a therapist.
Right. Yeah, and listen, this there's not a lot of great things that are going to come out of COVID, but the whole introduction of Zoom and and video conferencing or not introduction, but the but the with it's broadened throughout society. I know a lot of people that go to therapy this way, and yeah, it might be easier than showing up at a therapist's office. It's funny, our office at Elite Entertainment, there's a therapist right next door to us. And what I when I say funny, he does a lot of marriage counseling. So it's kind of funny, like, like, get here now. And then 10 years from now, you'll be over there. <laughs> um, but I mean, I see some people and it, it breaks my heart sometimes when I see couples leaving his office. And because I, I overlook the parking lot, and sometimes they'll, they'll be in tears, and they go stay, they leave in separate cars, and you can tell they're going through probably a nasty separation and ultimately a divorce. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with admitting it. And, and it's a it's it can get you healthier. And like I said, I've, I've, I've been in therapy twice in my life and both times have helped me. So New Jersey was shut down pretty bad because of COVID, correct? Yeah. Did that have, how did that affect you? I mean, it's got to be crabbing. Mean, I can relate. I was 100% crazy to think about a complete shutdown of our business for close to a year. You know, I, I've gone through the last 12 months with a lot of mixed emotions. I, I lost my dad to COVID um, in May. So I know how dangerous this, this virus is and I know how serious we need to take it. But it's also shut down my business and I'm eager to work and I'm eager to get back to work and make a living. So for, for a year now, I've had this you know, mixed emotion of, yes, we need to protect ourselves and, and be safe and everything else, but also I want to get back to work. So um, yeah, I, I, let's put it this way. I'm glad I'm not the one that has to make the decisions. When I see, uh, when I see the decisions that Trump had to make, and governors had to make, and Biden has to make, and I, I'm, I just look at that and I went, I, I go, I'm just glad I'm not the one because no matter what you decide, some people are going to hate it, some people are going to love it. It's going it, to, it's going to be right, it's going to be wrong, it's going to be proven right, it's going to be proven wrong. There, there's just no way to really get through this because there's no template. I mean, the last time we had something like this was 100 years ago, and we didn't have the science or the technology we had then, so this is all new. Society's never been through anything like this. And even even though it's insane how fast they came out with not just one, but three or four vaccines. Yeah. And Are I, you, what is your stance on that? I am uh, half vaccinated. So. Oh, okay. Congratulations. Very proudly half vaccinated. I am, I am fully vaccinated, which is something I didn't put on social media. So I guess now the world will know when you release this video, but um I, I was afraid that people would say, well, how come you deserve to get vaccinated? So I didn't put it out there, but I am completely pro-vaccination. I believe in the science. I don't think Bill Gates has a chip in my arm. Um, and, I, and I think that the quickest way through this virus is for as many Americans as possible to get vaccinated. So when, you're, when it's your turn and you can get one, please get one. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel guilty about it whatsoever. I think um, we're heading into a very, very busy event season. Um, which is which we're blessed for, thank God. And and you know, again, I, I want to keep myself healthy. I want to keep my family healthy. I want to keep those around me healthy. But yeah. I'm also I see the rollout and how fast it's moving now. So even if I'm ahead of somebody, like I went to CVS and got vaccinated, and there was probably 50 people in line. It still only took me 25 minutes, and right. 15 of those minutes were actually waiting afterward. So it was. I read that yesterday at Dodger Stadium they actually closed early because they didn't have enough people. 
they had more vaccines um, and and the line was closed. Like more people could have gotten vaccinated in L.A. yesterday than did because they just didn't show up. So, I mean, I think we're getting to the point now where, yeah, if you want to get vaccinated, just sit on the Internet and make a reservation. You'll get it. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty easy to do. Um, yeah, CVS was a very yeah. good. I would not have thought that was going to be where I'd go. Thought I'd be going to a hospital, but hey, whatever, I got it. So I'm happy. Yeah. Um, well, congratulations. I'm glad you did. I, I I hope as many people as possible do. Yeah, same, same, man. Hopefully. I mean, yeah. that's the only way we're going to get back to being normal. So and I've done a few events now where I'm fully vaccinated and I I just have a little bit more confidence because, I mean, the, you know, when you're rocking a gig and people are coming up to you and giving you requests, and even if you're wearing your mask, they're not. And, you know, I, I've, I've basically taken a COVID test after every single event I've done. And now the last handful, I'm like, well, I guess I don't need to. I'm, I'm vaccinated now. So I feel a lot safer. So I always thought before the vaccines were out, I wish that the COVID tests were easier and more rapid to get. I feel like the government, I feel like, I mean, I'm just going to say straight up, I've, the Trump administration failed in that regard and then the local state government. government. Um, I had six COVID tests and I had to go to different places. And sometimes I've even had to lie and say, I feel like I've had the symptoms. I don't know if you've had to do that, but just to, just to make sure we're in the clear. I, I, don't, I never said I had a symptom, but one of the questions they asked uh, was, do you feel, have you been in a, have you been in an environment where you feel you might've been yeah. exposed. And I always said yes, because who could know at an event? I mean, there's 150 people at a wedding and or 100 people at a wedding. And yeah, is there a chance one or two of these people have it and they're coming up to me asking for requests? Absolutely. So I didn't even feel like I was lying by saying yes to that question. Yeah. And there's no no shame in it. You're only protecting your clients. Right. Yeah. And you're right. Rapid testing. I don't know who to blame for why we don't have it. But I mean, I was going to CVS for most of my tests and I would get tested on a Wednesday and I would know by Friday. Now, the problem is in that 48 hours, how many people was I in contact with that I shouldn't have been if I ever tested positive? Knock wood, I never tested positive. But yeah, I mean, the only way to really, really quarantine people is is to know right away. Rapid testing. You know, you test positive, you can't see anybody. Shut them down, you know. Yeah. Are we moving on to number six? All right, we're going to go with Tears of Lorona. This is the, uh, maybe you want to do a full pour of this because this is the, uh, this is actually, uh, we're going to be trying this for the first time together. I've never had it. Is this the $250 one or whatever you said? Yep. Oh, yep. Alex, thank you. I can't believe you. Oh, and I wish I could share the whole thing with you. And again, I would probably would get nothing done tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow is actually my day off. Tuesday is my day out of the office Good. and I'm going uh, car shopping, vehicle shopping. What are you looking at? I'm looking at the, um, one of the different Jeep models. Okay. Either a, a Grand Cherokee or Cherokee, one of those. Are you a Jeep guy? Is this a new? Uh, Kelly and I have a Jeep Wrangler, uh, but I've been a Tucson guy for a while, a Hyundai Tucson guy. I've had two in a row, but I, I feel like I need a little bit more space. And um, I did have a Jeep many, many years ago. Um, hang on. Let me enjoy this $250. Very complex. I don't know if I'd be able to tell that's a tequila. More spice than I expected. It's, I mean, it's smooth, but it, it, it does have more spice than I expected. Yeah, that's the, that's the agave. So yeah. Agave has that peppery kind of spice. Yeah. Okay. So uh, lost my train. I like it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. 
did you have any uh, i forget where i want to go i might actually cut this out here for a second give me a second to compose myself no don't cut anything out just <laughs> this is a conversation alex i yeah, yeah. honestly i i've watched a few of your um interviews your podcast and i do like your style you you and i think it's the difference between i'm a new yorker i'm an east coast guy to me everything and and i think i make this mistake on our on joe and and my podcast sometimes i like I rush things along like you know we got to get to the point we got to finish this and i've liked listening to your podcast because you don't seem like you're in any hurry and i think very similar to howard stern that will probably get people to admit more than they probably want to just because you're you're just very laid back. So I wouldn't change your style at all. Thank you. Thank you. I think the uh, style and the uh, drinks might help people too. That, and that might be, and in fact, that you want to record this late at night. I mean, I was glad you moved me up an hour. At first you wanted to start at 10 and I was like, damn, Alex, that's late. You're a young guy, but for somebody like me, that's that's late. So now it's 10, 23 okay. and I'm seven tequila sips into this. And yeah, you could probably get me to admit to a lot. Yeah. So what has been your, like, probably did you have you ever had like i don't want to say worst event because we've all had bad events and like they're not even really a story or anything but what has been like some of like one of the most insane things just like maybe it would shock the dj community that has happened at one of the, your weddings or events I, what one of the things that stands out to me and i i actually apologize to the guests about this i did a wedding years ago for a very young bride and groom i think they were both 20 and their wedding song was Closer by Nine Inch Nails. And they wanted it to be the uned unedited version. Um, and I tried to talk them out of that in the meeting and they were like, nope, this is it. And I said, are you sure? I'm sure you're gonna have older guests that are gonna be offended by, I wanna fuck you like an animal. And they said, nope, we want this. And that was, a weird, weird moment for me. I remember introducing it and saying, I don't remember their names. So I said their first names, but I said, you know, the bride and groom have chosen this song specifically because um, it's perfect for them. And they specifically wanted the unedited version. So I hope you're not going to be offended by what you hear. And here is closer. So I basically let everybody know in the room, this is, you know, not my choice, it's their choice. Um, and I remember at that wedding, the groom brother was the best man and when he got up to speak he said uh you know i know a lot of people say my brother's too young to get married and he just let that hang there and a bunch of people like shifted in their seats I'm like that eh, was me uh and i i always wonder to this day i wonder if that couple made it you know <laughs> have you ever done a wedding for the same person twice so ever done a remarriage? I have not personally, but we haven't in, in the company. Okay. We have had more than once, we've had a bride call us and say, you did my wedding 10 years ago. Uh, we, I loved your service. I'm getting remarried. I'd prefer not to have the original DJ because maybe he was bad luck, but we'd like to use your services again. So I personally have never done a second wedding. I did do a sweet 16 and then her wedding situation many years ago. Um, but I've never done to, uh, the wedding of, of the same person twice. Yeah. Interesting. Have so, you, have I ever, no, have I, you, have you had that opportunity? I asked that question of all, a ton of DJs and is, is common as divorces and remarriages. Never, never. No. Yeah. I like I said, One of my favorite ones was we had, um, a, a, 
a contract break, a bride call us like six months before her wedding and say, you know, I, I'm not getting married, blah, blah, blah. And in that situation, we'll say, um, well, look, if we rebook your date, we'll keep the deposit as a credit. Yep. If we don't rebook the date, you lose the deposit. And sure enough, we rebooked the date. So I sent her an email and I said, you know, you now have that 500 hour deposit, whatever it is, as a credit. I and then a couple years, and then a couple years later, she called to say, "Hey, I'm I'm getting married again, and I'd like to get that credit." And I was like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." And she goes, "Can you do me a favor though? Can you not tell my fiance?" <laughs> and I was like, "Sure, no problem." But I'm thinking to myself, "Why do you want to start your marriage with a big fat lie? Like, what's <laughs> what's wrong with telling somebody, "Hey, I was engaged prior to you. It didn't work out, and now I'm getting." But I and I was like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." But I remember thinking to myself, "That's not a healthy way to start a relationship." <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any shame in that because she was just engaged. The wedding didn't Yeah, happen. exactly. Yeah. I've, I've actually been engaged before and that the wedding didn't happen. So Right. Nothing to be ashamed about there. Now, actually, so going back to the uh, having uh, done the same bride's wedding twice, I did do a uh, very young, like 22, 21, 22 um, couple's wedding about a year and a half ago, year ago, year and a half ago, two years ago. And just a couple of weeks ago, I got an inquiry from the, the bride. And I it's in recent enough memory that I remember her name. And I looked her up and I'm like, this is interesting. I looked her up on Instagram. It's a different guy. I'm like, this is very soon. Yeah, but listen, my first marriage didn't last that long. So sometimes people, you know, move on quickly. It's, it's, it, that's, I don't think you can judge people for that. No, 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 definitely not. Yeah. No, I'm probably judging a little bit. Yeah. You seemed like you were judging. Yeah, no, I, I definitely was. Yeah. No, I was judging from the start. I just didn't admit it. So that's all good. But this one is growing on me. This is nice. I think that first sip, I got a, I got some spice notes that I wasn't yeah. uh, expecting, but this one is really good. Yeah. They sell mini bottles of it that are only like a hundred bucks. Okay. So yeah, if, if you ever want to, I assume this bottle will probably last me in five or six years. So all good. Yeah. The plantains my mom bought is going to last a good long time. I'm hoping it lasts till Christmas and then she gets me another one. So I'm going to blow up, you know, Jason Henniger from, uh, Richmond, Kentucky. Yeah, Jason's my bourbon guy. Yeah. I've gone out to dinner with him a couple of times and I'm like, Jason, you order the bourbon. Yeah. He sent me a Blends, which he was nice. Wow. So Blends at retail is just $50. Okay. Totally acceptable. So right. he got one and I was at actually in Pennsylvania, they got this, the New Jersey is like a Mecca for booze. You could find whatever you want in New Jersey, but you're going to pay for it because they know right. find demand. In Pennsylvania, our alcohol supply is run by the state which totally sucks. But we, when we can find something good, you get it at retail. They don't jack it up. It's not supply and demand. Right. So I was actually the same day that Jason sent me blends. I was at my liquor store doing a run and they had blends. So 50 bucks. I had two, I now have two, uh, two, uh, two nice bottles of blends. Yeah. So I've got one. Very cool. Serve. Yeah. But as we close out here, Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on, Alex. I, I enjoyed this. I was looking forward to this and I I, um, I couldn't believe you sent me a care package with so much tequila. And I this is uh I have plenty left over. So I will enjoy this so tomorrow and the next day. Do a comparison after this. Now just keep in mind it's chemically altered, I guess you could say. Yeah. The Costco tequila, the what we call Costco Migos. Okay. This last one in here. It's a knockoff of Casamigos. It okay. does very, very much taste like a high-end tequila. I'll tell you what, they they make a bourbon that Kelly's mom got for us. And um, I mean, I would put it on par with a bullet. Okay. 
You know, it's 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 not the best bourbon you've ever had, but it's certainly it's not the worst bourbon I've ever had either. So mixer. Exactly. Yeah. To me, there's a big difference. If you're going to make a mixed drink out of it, then then you don't need it to be the most unbelievable bourbon. If you're just going to sip it, especially without a an ice cube, then it's got to be pretty good quality. So I've got to if you were at a bar right now, crowded bar, live music going, what would you order? Uh, I, if they're making mixed drinks, probably an old fashioned with bullet. I'd, I'd probably order a bullet old fashioned. Very cool. I actually, I really, I might send you an old fashioned just for the hell of it. You don't, you don't need to send me anymore. Joe. Matter of fact, I'm going to send you Kelly and I, when we were in Mexico, we were in, um, Cabo a couple years ago and we did a tequila tasting and we, we got this one tequila that we love, love, love. And I order it from time to time. I think it's like $80 a bottle. I can't find it locally. So I order it off of this website and have it shipped. So I'm going to, I'm going to ship you that because I want you, I want to repay you for all this. And I want you to try that and, and tell me where you would rank it. I rank it as one of the best tequilas I've ever had, but I, but I, it sounds like you've had a lot more than I have. So I'd like you to rank that. Now, is this a surprise or do you care to share? I don't know the name of it. You're gonna, <laughs> the only thing I, I, I know about it is it comes in this bottle that's like kind of twisted. So it's like the bottle is turned. Okay. Um, so it's a unique bottle. But um, and I, I, I found it on this website and I when every time I go to the website, it's like, do you want to reorder this? And I'm like, yes. So uh, I don't that's why I don't know the name. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate you. Keep stirring shit. Keep doing you. Keep being. <laughs> well, I hope to see you soon. I, I I hope to share an elevator with you soon, where you're going to lift weights <laughs> and I'm going for a run. That will be that. Will, that's when I know the world will have returned to normal. Everything will feel great, man. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Cheers, my friend. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, man. Dude, this was a pleasure. It really was. I look forward to it.